Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And I'm recording in my new home office setup studio thing. You like your new rig. I do. Yeah. But the downside is, is that I spend so much time sitting in this chair mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, I get butt sores. So. Can you get a better chair? That's the answer. You always <laughs> opposed, have the answers. As opposed to getting up, because <laughs> that would be crazy yeah, talk. Nobody's going to do that. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. <laughs> well, you know, I uh, got a really interesting Better Know framework that's very timely. So let's Ooh. roll the music. All right, dude, what do you got? New story that just came out today, August 15th. That's when we're mm-hmm. recording this. Um, and it's uh, Microsoft and Amazon release a preview of an Alexa Cortana collaboration. Ooh, they talked about this at Build. They talked about it at Build, but now if you want to take part in this, you can summon Cortana on Echo devices and Alexa on your Windows 10 PCs and Harman Kardon Invoke speakers. That's cool. How cool is that? I, I mean, I'm still wrestling over why they're doing this. There's, you know, it's so easy for them to just be competitors. So now I can say... Alexa, format my C drive, and it actually might work. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. Oh, my goodness. That's it. That's what I got. But it's okay. a good story. And this being show 1574, you can get there just by going 1574.pwop.me. Or, awesome. you know, you could probably just Google Bing it, too. Probably could. Whatever. Who's talking to us, Richard? Well, considering that our friend Adam Kogan hasn't been on the show since 2006, I figured <laughs> I probably shouldn't try and grab a comment that's 12 years old. because Oh, do it. Be do fair. it. Well, and that, and in 2006, we didn't have a comments engine. So, you know, small details. All right. You'd have to read uh, an email. I did grab a comment off of show 1550, which was from May of 2018, when we talked about Azure Tooling and Visual Studio with Paul Yukowitz and Andrew Hall. Right. And it's not a happy comment, but it's a very direct one. I thought it was super relevant to our conversation. This is a comment from William Gunther, who said, Azure is still too complicated to administer and too many things don't work as described and costs are difficult to predict or control. In the old hmm. days, an enterprise developer spent 90% of his time solving business problems. Now you get to spend three days in five trying to figure out why your app won't publish to Azure. Hmm. Grumpy. Yeah, grumpy. You know, and, and I mean, he's not entirely wrong. Either, and when was this right? written? Two months ago. It's current. Two months ago. Yep. When and you know the tooling's better. We because we've moved onto Azure, so we've dealt with the problems and the challenges there. It's no question that it's a, it takes some time to learn. But there's a bigger thing here. We talk about that old school enterprise developer where he was had an uh, IT people who put a bracket around how he would do those things and it was who you would call to to support it and now right. it's not that simple you're kind of talking to Azure directly and you need to know more things but maybe right. we can make a show to make uh, Bill's life a little easier uh now nah, let's not do that why would we do that that's crazy talk <laughs> So, William, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code by is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. Alexa reads them to Cortana for us. <laughs> <laughs> and Cortana when says, just- what? Just start talking to each other. There's nothing good could come of that. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's so funny. I uh, yeah, I would that would be a great comedy routine to have, you know, them just talking trying to conversate with each other. 
the real advantage now with the collaboration is you don't actually have to have two devices. You could now have one device talking to itself, right? So effectively, you've made it, you know, an echo schizophrenic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's, uh, now us not having a current bio for Adam, he's going to have to update the bio that we read six years ago. So I'm going to read that. Uh, Sorry, 12 years ago. It's from 2006. Oh, my word. 12 years ago? Yeah. Okay, so get this. Adam Kogan is the chief architect at SSW, a Microsoft certified partner specializing in Visual Studio.net 2005. (laughs) (laughs) Windows and Web, SQL Server, OLAP, and RS applications. Well, Adam, what have you been doing lately? You guys are cute reading that old bio. Some of it hasn't changed too much. I'm still uh, the chief architect of SSW, still um, running that. We have multiple offices uh, around the country these days. Um, I spend a lot more of my time uh, dealing with China. We have uh, two offices in China these days. And um, obviously, I do a lot of Azure and a lot of VSTS with the Visual Studio team. Yeah. we haven't uh, built an app, well, we haven't started a fresh app in three years that wasn't .NET Core these days. Yeah. Wow, in three years. Yeah, incredible, hey? And is there still certified partners? Oh, yeah, they are, but they're, it's not as important as it once was, I don't think. Yeah, I guess the models have just changed. You know, it used to be there was a time, and back then certainly was a case where it's like a lot of customers only cared about the Microsoft channel. And now that mm. we've sort of gone in the open source world and there's sort of a broader reach, it's just not as important. Mm. That's right. And even if you are in the Microsoft world, uh, core is just so much faster. Yeah, that's right. So much faster. So I, I heard that comment you, you made um, in the beginning, uh, William's comment, mm-hmm. and it's a similar comment to what I hear uh, from many of the devs in our company. Um, it is not just, you know, a completely different paradigm. And, you know, if somebody like my company are full of .NET, C-sharp guys, uh, Angular guys, React guys, and they also now need to be Azure guys. And Azure is a monster and they don't know which part of Azure that they're expecting that they want me to get them to learn or which bits will help their career the most you know it's it's hard well and it strikes me that these are now becoming fundamental skills the same way you had to you know learn your way around visual studio you kind of have to learn your way around azure yeah i tell them it's non-optional we must know azure and then it comes which parts of azure right that's a good setup for this whole conversation so what are the key parts of azure that every dev really needs to know their way around well, um, I would say that um, it it would be helpful if there was a nice little navigation flow that each developer is to follow. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it starts by just just uh, deploying your first app and, and how do you get going. Now, obviously, the easiest way in the very beginning just to go into Visual Studio and go file a new project and you can deploy straight from there into Azure. That's kind of the, right. the first step. Right. You know, but 
obviously they're they're trying to um decide look i've got so many options you know should i vm seem to be the easiest way because i don't have to learn anything or should i be doing containers or service fabric or cloud services which obviously you don't want to do these days is it easier in azure to incrementally uh move things around as the requirements change like in other words I could start a web app in Azure, just in Visual Studio, get that going, and then I need uh, it to scale up a little bit. So maybe I put it in containers, and uh, you know, in other words, is that a good strategy? I mean, going into a VM obviously is sort of pigeonholing you in there, right? If you're running an IIS in a VM, so. I wouldn't even recommend anybody do that anymore. Yeah. But starting with an Azure website, is it easy to sort of bounce around once you once you reach critical mass? Yeah, I tell the developers if you're going to go VMs, you're not you're not really uh, you're not learning anything about the cloud. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to start off in containers on your first um, project. If you're a .NET dev, um, moving to Azure. You probably don't. You want to skip ser- serverless as well, just to get going, uh, because you still want to deliver a project. Right. So yeah. the first project you should do is just app services. It's the simplest. You don't have to learn very much as a .NET developer, and you'll you'll have you'll have success. Um, you can still you don't have to manage the infrastructure. You can still manage scaling and configuration, and it's as simple as just going into the portal and going. Uh, click on you know the create a resource button, choose web app, you know specify that you're in Australia or America wherever you are, and press publish and you're pretty good to go. Nice. So the, and then it's just hooked through Visual Studio. You're just publishing directly to the cloud. Yes. What if you want to move into container after that? Well, I would say that shouldn't be your next step generally on most because you don't want to start um, your first Azure project on a monster. Um, You've got many, many steps to go before you get to containers, I'd say. Yeah. So what is the next step past just deploying to to an Azure website? Because Azure website to me feels so much like IIS. Anybody who's deployed websites on IIS is going to find it familiar. Yeah. Developers just don't have a problem doing that. It's it's easy. And from that point, they're right-clicking publishing and they're doing everything they probably shouldn't be doing for a little while but they get used to it right so would it the next step be breaking it down into parts that need to scale independent of each other sort of a microservices architecture um i would probably say that the next thing you really want to learn about azure is that brand new devops project Hmm. um because you want to be deploying uh, you want to be deploying regularly, you know, many, ideally many, many times a sprint. If you can get it down, many, you know, deploying uh, many times a day, if you can really get there. Um, I think if the complexity of the app warrants it, then of course you start breaking down to microservices. Uh, that's important. Uh, in the beginning, I would just be making sure they know the, the, the DevOps project. Yeah. Um, and that's just right click, publish, you know, uh, Azure DevOps, and you've got 
CI, uh, CD, logging, the whole kit and caboodle in a few steps, like it's, it's massively impressive. And then you can put DevOps on your LinkedIn profile as an expert. <laughs> <laughs> so, and is that Visual Studio Team Services you're talking about, or is that a separate Azure DevOps tool? It, uh, it is, I will say it's separate because if you're the old school, you understand DevOps properly, you're using visualstudio.com or um, a tool similar to it. You're setting up your your work items, you're setting up your build, and you're setting up your release or your octopus, and you're um, deploying nicely. You're looking at the stats coming back. You're, you're looking at all your unhandled exceptions. But uh, you need to be a diligent person to, to get all that going, or you need someone, you need, need one of those grumpy old, they, they look a little bit like a sysadmin and a .NET solution architect rolled into one, and right. you need one of those guys on your team. They look a bit like you, Richard, with a, the gruffer voice. <laughs> 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 I'm not actually a nice man. I just play one on a podcast. Uh. Right. But that's, that's kind of confront, confronting all that type of stuff. And uh, so Donovan Brown and, and the, um, the, the team have uh, built something inside Azure, which is just a, a simple, you know, create a resource, select DevOps and uh, choose a couple of things. And you have the whole kit and caboodle done. And it's uh, super, super impressive. And so the goal then is to automate the deployment process. You literally check in code and it delivers it right to the website, essentially. That's right. Yeah. So it's, it's done. Um, you get your, you get your life back and, uh, now you've, you're doing all the right stuff before you've got into, uh, how you're going to split up your app and how you're going to architect it and all the microservices. You've got your control, your source control going nicely. You got your continuous integration working. Mm. Uh, you know, all the continuous. You can say I'm doing continuous delivery, and my, the health of my application is good because I'm looking uh, every day uh, at the unhandled exceptions coming in. So there's also this telemetry part of can we see what's what errors are occurring in production? That's right, and really, you want to do that type of stuff early on so you get used to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is that actually a separate tool or is it just happened by deploying onto the Azure web apps? Well, no, it's, uh, it just uh, connects into Visual Studio Team Services and, okay. um, you know, you teach the team. There'll be no more right-click publishing. It uh, <laughs> creates it all, but you have a UI inside, like kind of a front-end inside um, Visual Studio, uh, inside the Azure portal. Mm-hmm. So you can go up to any team and say, uh let me have a look at that uh, at your DevOps, and you'll see that there's a CI CD pipeline automatically set up. You can have a look at the Azure resources. You'll see uh, on the same screen um, uh, a graph of your application insights, and you know you look at that. Like you will have errors, you'll have slow pages, you'll have all that type of stuff. Okay. But the goal is, you ask the team, what is that massive spike there? And if they go, uh, no idea then, you know, they're not looking at the health of the application regularly. And are you actually deploying into production here or are you deploying to a staging site in Azure? 
Well, you you control that. Okay. If you're a, a real man, deploys into production. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have to have uh, a mustache to do that. Nice. <laughs> well, you should be deploying into production, really, and you should be using release gates, uh, and um, you should uh, be hiding new functionality that's not tested yet um, behind behind uh, feature flags. And so you are regularly deploying, even though you're not showing everything all the time. Right. But that, that is, represents a whole bunch of new development practices, and we're still just trying to get the fundamentals here. Yes. And of course, that's not for everyone. So you set up um, multiple release pipelines and you can have it going to a test server, to a staging server, and you can go through you know, the normal cycle you go through with a test team and then um, deploy it. Right. And you do have, I mean, this is features that are built into VSTS, right? The whole approvals and gates process. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's all there. And the, and mm-hmm. the problem has been you have to learn all that and uh, you have .NET guys that, just leave all that to later and they right. just Microsoft couldn't get people stopping right click publish and so right. yeah that's kind of why I say uh, ju- d- the very next project you work on uh, if you've never done anything in Azure uh, just go through uh, create your uh, project in Visual Studio or VS Code or whatever um, or just go to the portal and go app services Choose that, and then you should go straight for your DevOps, and you're right. pretty much uh, in a really good place at that point. You're heading down that path, so you're probably going to spend some time on this DevOps piece because there's a whole bunch of improvements made there. This can change testing. This can certainly tweak the pipeline. Decide what your release gates look like. Like it's not just a click, click. Okay, now we're DevOpsing. Uh, it is actually. <laughs> it's so simple. It is a wizard, and. Um, you can build on that. It's, right. Uh, that's why I say you can run this wizard and put DevOps on your uh, resume. <laughs> you know, right. You are doing it the right way. Now, here's the problem. You know, you're hiding a lot of the, all the recommended pain to become right. a proper DevOps. Right? And we're now not going to know who knows this stuff and who doesn't because it's, right. uh, it's so simple. And Adam, I got to interrupt you right there for this very important message. Save the date for .NET Conf 2018, September 12th through 14th. .NET Conf is a free three-day virtual developer event co-organized by the .NET community and Microsoft. Over the course of three days, you can enjoy a wide selection of live sessions that feature speakers from the community and .NET product teams. These are the experts in their field, and .NET Conf is a chance to learn, ask questions live, and get inspired for your next software project. You will learn to build for web, mobile, cloud, desktop, games, services, libraries, and more for a variety of platforms and devices, all with .NET. There are sessions for everyone, no matter if you are starting out or a seasoned engineer. Expect presentations on .NET Core and ASP.NET Core, C-Sharp, F-Sharp, Azure, Visual Studio, Xamarin, and much more. Head to www.dotnetconf.net. That's .netconf.net to learn more and tune in. And we're back. It's Carl and Richard here on yeah. .NET Rocks talking to our friend Adam Kogan entirely too long. It's been 12 years about his view on the tools you use in Azure and getting devs focused on building it the Azure way. 
So, I mean, it's certainly easy to start the CI CD pipeline to get people away from right click publish, but it's a pretty rich space to live in, in terms of all of the things you can do to actually improve your building process over time. Mm. Do you agree? Yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah. Cause I feel like moving to web apps is really pretty easy. If you've got an existing IIS app, you know, unless you're writing to disk or anything evil like that, you can get it up to web apps in a few days. So what's night number two? <laughs> or is that well, three? Um, <laughs> <laughs> or three. Are we on three? I think we're on three. Uh, so um, I assume you're referring to the nine nights. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What is that reference to anyway? Yeah. So I, I just, um, I do reviews with the guys. Um, every year we do a, I do a long walk with each of the guys. Mm -hmm. It's uh, around 10 to 15 kilometers. And uh, I started noticing that um, I was spending a lot of my time just uh, working through which parts that they need to learn. And so then I started writing them down for each person. And uh, here I have kind of the, the nine the nine nights that they need to learn in the next 12 months. And I'll consider that they're, that they're also, an, you know, they're strong at Azure. Okay. And I guess the, the, the next one, and, and by the way, I should mention, Azure is huge in Australia because mm -hmm. uh, we have an Aussie cloud. Um, and so not only like Amazon is in Sydney, but uh, we've got, Azure in Sydney and Melbourne, plus they've got a, a a dual cloud in Canberra, which is our capital city, and that is forty eight percent owned by the Australian government and forty eight percent owned by the uh, New Zealand government, and um, so that just means that that the love for Azure in Australia is probably disproportionately high in Australia compared with other countries, just because of the the deal with the government. Right. Sure. So, um, so the third one I tell them is data, and of course everybody just uh, knows SQL, and SQL's awesome. Um, but I really think it's crazy important if you want to handle massive amounts of data, be able to um, have high read writes and near near real time response. Cosmos. Osmos. Yeah. Osmos is what they need to learn. And it's a bit different. But when the boss comes to them and says, hey, um, we've got a big marketing campaign going on in you know, New York, and you go, hang on a sec, uh, I've got all the data in Australia. I need to learn about replication. <laughs> yeah, that's the wrong <laughs> and, way. Uh, if you've got Cosmos, it's a... Uh, it's a flick of a switch and it's a business decision if you just want to pay the extra dollars. How many extra dollars are we talking about? Well, I think, you know, uh, in the beginning, you mentioned that guy, William, who was having trouble getting up and running with uh, Azure. And right. he also mentioned something that was pretty spot on. He has to now worry about the costs of things. Azure is... Uh, amazingly easy to learn and amazingly easy to be uh, ignorant of the costs. And in fact, I, how about I, what we need is instead of DevOps, we need cost ops. 
Nice. Hmm. We need practices that when developers choose options, they easily see what dollars is that potentially going to be impacting the business. They need ways that they can write, you can write code now and do a check-in, an inefficient check-in, and you've just cost dollars yeah. on your, you know, on, on the monthly bill. And it's it's the sum of the parts of how these bills get high. And, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a new world. We're at the beginning of this, but developers are now, um, you know, they're just going to have to, William's going to have to suck it up. He's either going to have to <laughs> learn replication or, or learn how much is it going to cost to uh, flick on the switch and put the data right next to all those users in New York for that advertising campaign. Yeah. And so is it, is it mistakes that makes Azure expensive or are there expensive parts of Azure? Well, yes. It's mistakes. It's all the little choices you make. It's being uh, ignorant of, uh, you know, you know how some developers will say, I don't want to learn anything about security. I'll leave that to other people. Mm. Right. Um, you know, it's got to that point where that's uh, developers can't be like that. I'll tell you how I ran up my Azure bill was just anytime I wanted to create a database to mess around with something, I just spun up a new SQL server. You know, and yes. yeah, and after a while, the bill's gone up, and I'm like, wait a second, I don't need any more of these anymore. And you know, some of them that I'm still messing around with, I could just put tables in an existing database called, you know, mess around with me or something, right? Rather than set up another one. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I was able to bring my bill down quite a bit just by cutting those out because those do jack up the money they stay on and you pay for them whether you're using them or not that's right um on that there's a checkbox there on when you're setting up your azure cosmos db that says enable geo redundancy i think that when you check that on i'd like um scott Guthrie and the team just to whack up a couple of images of lots of piles of dollars <laughs> so you so you're aware you know because all these uh, it's it's really easy to to blow a lot of dollars uh, over time with uh, turning on all those uh, geo redundancy features. Yeah, and when you're talking about Cosmos, yeah, I'm talking about Cosmos. Yeah, Cosmos yeah. can be more expensive than SQL Server that Carl mentioned. Sure, yeah. but Cosmos is much more of the sort of MongoDB document data store model. Yes, you're not really writing traditional SQL against it that way either, although. No. It's interesting to see how many times we're, we're we're using SQL essentially as a document store. Like we're not really doing relation relating of data together. We don't need that capability. Yeah, and, and if you know if you if you like Link, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's going to work fine for you. You know, there is also like th that that is the choice when you're doing Cosmos. It's not going to be as simple as doing SQL Server. You have to choose which API you're going to choose and. You can say that's an architectural decision because right. that one's going to be hard to find later. Um, I believe in uh, Entity Framework .NET Core that is 2.2 that should be coming out later this year. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a new choice there called Entity Framework API. And mm. that should be super exciting because you, you know Cosmos will support Link. Um, you'll have, it'll be much more fam familiar to 
devs who like relational models. Very good. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to move my jokes out to the edge of the internet so our listeners will get them faster. Will, will that work? Is that a no. joke delivery network you're talking about? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> a JDN? A JDN. <laughs> I don't think it works like that, actually. <laughs> well, you know, you got to cash a few jokes out there in the first place. Oh, uh, you know, every joke is a cash of a previous joke, really. Right. <laughs> You're just pre-populating humor. I get that. (laughs) Uh, It's time to give away a free conference pass to Tech Bash, October 2 through 5, and up to four nights at the Kalahari Resort in Pocono Manor, Pennsylvania. Compliments of Progress Telerik. You can check out Tech Bash online at techbash.netrocks.com. But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today, Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. New this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive documentation, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial now at Telerik.com download. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is none other than John Holiday. Congratulations, John. Yeah. Off clap for you. And John just won a free conference pass to Tech Bash in October at the Kalahari Resort in Pocono Manor, Pennsylvania, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to be a member, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of said fan club but you gotta sign up if you want to win and adam it's your turn if you had five thousand to spend on technology today what would you buy mm. all right um uh, well i have the latest phone so i'm okay with that and uh i have the latest um, August lock and cam for my house. And that's important. I've got a uh-huh. fit Apple watch. So I've got those things. Okay. Um, so I've got all the essentials. I think if I was just going to be spending $5,000 on things that I would just be using it to learn. And because I have a Chinese office um, in China, they have uh, an Apple equivalent. Equivalent. It's called Xiaomi. It's, it's mi.com is the, is the site. They have a, a phone, um, which is, if you ask me, sexier than an iPhone. Okay. Uh, they have, uh, like, when I go and visit the Chinese office, every product they have seems to come from mi.com. You hmm. the security products in the houses, all their wearables. Uh, like, it is, I'd probably spend that $5,000 on, on junk from that site so I could just learn. Interesting. Just tough to experiment mm. with and more engage with China. Is it really that big a part of your business these days? 
Uh, oh, it's uh, it's key. Um, we spend. Uh, we have this service that we provide to customers called Chinafy. It's just a. It's just what we do. Like we we probably am not that different to, from a lot of consulting companies where our customers make good dollars in Australia. They make mm-hmm. good dollars in America and some dollars in Europe, and then they have zero users in China. Yeah, not right. User, right. You know. And so we Chinify their apps so that because um, they they authenticate differently, they don't have Facebook and Twitter, so you got to take those little bits out of the app. Sure, you know, it's not about the localization; it's about a lot of other. They have a different world over there. Right, right, just a different set of tools, and so you've gone through this, and you can help them get uh, start get into that market. Yeah, that's right, and it's it's bigger and bigger market. You know, I went there with my daughter Ruby for three weeks and we did not use our credit card or cash once the entire three weeks. Everything was paid on WeChat Pay or Alipay. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's incredible. That's how they do things. I even climbed up this mountain with Ruby and it's called Yellow Mountain and we got right near the top and there was this old man who dragged all these uh, all these drinks up to, to sell to you when you're exhausted near the top. And all he took was Alipay and WeChat Pay. I couldn't believe it. Wow. That's all there was. Like, if you want this drink, you will pay this way. Huh. That's right. Yeah. They, they've sorted out the micropayments, that's for sure. That's, that's pretty cool. Very interesting. That is cool. All right. I, we t- talked about Cosmos DB and obviously this uh, SQL Azure. What about the other storage mechanisms, the table store, blob storage? Like, do those still make sense or is Cosmos DB the way? No, they're all good. Um, you know, people will continue to use SQL Server and Progress, uh, Postgres, and mm-hmm. um, Document DB. Y- yes, uh, I will. I will tell you that soon. There'll probably come a, a warning if you choose any of those options that they're only available to, to developers over forty years of age. <laughs> um, <laughs> warning: You must be this old to prefer this technology. Yeah. yeah. No, I think the future is Cosmos, and yeah. uh, what you want to do is you want to be diligent in working, making sure that it's not that you're using it in the areas you need it, and you know you're getting um, bang for buck. But it's definitely the way forward, and it's, and it's where I think it's where Scott Guthrie and the team are, are putting all the investment. You know, it's, yeah. it's clearly the choice for any IoT solutions, but you you know if I if you know, I just, we just talked about China. China has um, uh, some data centers over there as well. They're called Azure's over there. And if you're on the mainland, that's Mooncake. And if you want to light up those data centers, then, you know, that's the easiest way. You turn it on, you experiment, you spend some, some dollars on Azure and you spend some dollars on social media and you see if you get bites. Uh, it's the best way to choose for your data store going forward, really. Sure. No, I, I can't mm. argue with you there. Well, we got apparently six more of these nights to do in the last <laughs> half of the show, so we better truck along. What comes after data, Adam? Well, I guess, um, you know, Azure ID, you know, security. and um, So Active Directory services? Yes. Actually, I wouldn't mind just mentioning, just uh, with this data store story, it is... Like I, I got an email which was not 
too long ago, which was basically we we write and you know we we write software, we ingest a lot of data, we're getting thousands of records a minute. We've been using SQL Server forever. Um, our schema is fluid. There's lots of logs as well. What should we use? And of course, my answer was Cosmos DB. Right. And then when you say, you know, they'll they'll say, what? How do I aggregate data? And how do I trigger certain events? And um, you know that type of stuff. You can say, well, you can you can still replicate some of your non-SQL Cosmos data out for reports and searching, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you start looking at Azure, you start realizing there's just so many products there. There's there's not just Cosmos DB. There's Data Lake Store. There's Data Lake Analytics. Oh, sure. Times sites, Data Factory. There's you know Data Bricks. There's so many options there, and they're so hard to choose um, that we're going. You're going to start seeing that you just need data architects now to help you right. um, to organize all that. Yeah, Microsoft are going to learn that they're giving so much choice. They, they're going to um, they're giving developers analysis paralysis. Yeah, yeah. They're creating this new is jobs. The, this is the paradox of choice problem, right? Given too many choices, people will not choose. Fear of regret yes. is more powerful than actually making a decision. And it isn't like you're choosing one thing that's very similar to another thing. I mean, it, these are real architectural decisions that have to be made they, they don't understand enough about what these products do and where they're best suited yeah so i just want to call out something that um azure have if you just um go to um azure and you google for resources infographics they've put some standard patterns and practices up there which are really nice so i think that's just i just want to just when people start looking at the data, they'll they'll get frightened. And Microsoft better better sort this out um, by making it easier to choose. But in the end, you'll you'll find those infographics will help a bit because they're kind of solving this problem. Well, that's good. Yeah, I'll include a link to that. All right, cool. So identity, and I'm kind of surprised to see you getting to identity fourth. But then that's just the the IT guy in me. But yeah, identity is next. Yeah, I think you've got to choose how you're going to do this. And obviously, um, you know, the the ones I suggest people consider are Auth0. Auth0, if you've got less than 7,000 users, it's free. Um, it can get really expensive after that. But people want to log on the way they want to log on if you're dealing with consumers. Now, of course, if we're just a back-end system, you can use Azure AD, mm-hmm. nice and easy. Um, but you want... The, the security side of things is really important. Um, and I see people look at Auth0 and I see them look at Identity Server, um, which is a great product. Um, the problem with Identity Server is you need a developer to get that going. And you need not just a, a developer, you need a great developer. Hmm. So. Um, you need a smart developer. Or you bring in a contractor, you bring in an expert, you bring in a Brock Allen. Yes. Oh, well, yes. Or um, or Dominic, yes. So it's yeah. good that it's German engineered, so we know it's uh, good quality, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but that is not as easy as just going with um, Azure AD B2C. 
Um, right. The Azure agency, the documentation is good. There's lots of tutorials and sample projects. Um, I gave one of my guys the job of getting, well, he's, he's used a couple of these, but he's really an Angular developer. He's not definitely not a, a security consultant. And um, but he got this up and running, and he he raved that the tutorials and, and sample projects that's were cool. made it less frightening than what he thought it was going to be. That's good. He he thought you were punishing him at first, huh? <laughs> I think um, I think those um, full stack developers they're f- full stack until you mention, and we want you to be cloud as well, right? And throw security in, and now you. Now I want you to tell me how much is this stuff going to cost? Then, you know, then they they're not so full stack anymore, right? Well, the stack keeps getting fuller, dude. Right? Like yes. it's just a bigger and bigger surface area over time. Yes, and I should mention something. Um, uh, that Auth Zero is cool. It's got all the different options like Facebook, Twitter, you know, LinkedIn, all those type of ones. But right, there's two authentication models that. For me, a showstoppers. You have to have. Um, you really need WeChat um, as an authentication. And again, this is uh, China. Choice. You're talking about. If you want to be participating yes. in China, you need to be using WeChat as an option. Hmm. Yes, uh, every single person uses WeChat. Um, I can't. I, I haven't seen them have a break from it. They seem to be permanently on it. Wow. And if you look at any Chinese person staring at their phone, they're you don't ask what app because they're all in WeChat. WeChat okay. is like Facebook and the Messenger and uh, how you purchase something. It's everything. So uh, Azure Azure AD B2C has the, the WeChat option and uh, Auth0 doesn't. So that's kind of, for me, a big deal. And that's why we always seem to go Azure B2C, yeah. which is a little jewel there. If, if you care about China, then why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah why, why block anyone? Although they block us. <laughs> what night are we up to now? We're looking at number five. Okay. So the, the next thing that I would say is I'd like the devs to learn API management. API management, you know, of course, devs will say, um, you know, I can, I can document my web API. I'll just get swagger and throw that in, but, you know, a, a serious Mr. DevOps will probably walk along and say, um, we can't just expose our API like that. We want usage quotas and, and rate limits. And Yeah, right. Know. That to me is the bigger thing, is that you can't let anybody break you. That's right. You know, especially if you, you know, let's just say your service gets in the New, New York Times, all of a sudden, it's more than just giving documentation to developers. We care about security and authentication. We want every person using it probably to have some monitoring and reporting. Um, and of course, we want protection. We want those usage quotas and rate limits. So um, you, you can ask the dev to, to do all that himself. And that is going to be a monster job. And it's already done. It seems stupid, right? It's built into Azure. Yeah, just go into the Azure portal, click on create a resource and choose API management, run through a wizard that will ask you a few questions about just a couple of questions about where are you, and then you give it your your swagger file and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah. So it's compelling. Now, the only thing that's not compelling is that part isn't free. So uh, it's not expensive either. It, um, I'm just trying to remember the pricings, but it is. I got the pricing details right here. Oh, of really? course you do. <laughs> well, you know, I, I pay attention, man. This is me, you know. So if you, uh, yeah, depending on the services you're using, the velocity you're running at, like for devs, it's nine cents an hour for just doing dev. But you, know, you start out at 25 cents an hour for production level and it goes up as high as, you know, 466 for an hour is an enterprise production case. And that's hmm. with big caches and distributed across multiple regions and a high level SLA and so uh, thousands of requests per second. Yeah. So I can tell you that most customers using it just go with the, uh, they don't go for the enterprise features and they're paying a couple of hundred dollars a month for that for that API management. And that gives them a really beautiful modern API gateway. Like they could have crummy old uh, web services. They could have nasty old ASMX web services. You put this over the top and all the people that just read that New York Times article are just seeing a beautiful new REST API. Right. And they're going, wow, this is, cool. like, this is, this is genuine lipstick on a pig, you know. <laughs> Yeah, the basic at twenty five cents an hour for a month is one hundred and eighty dollars <laughs> per unit. So, yeah, depending on how many units you use, and that's you know capped at a thousand requests a second, and that's lots. Yeah, it's great. Now, I, th I think the real linchpin from going from basic to standard is the a the uh, identity integration. That's probably a, a going to be a big deal for a certain number of people. And there's also um, there's the on premise authentication in, in the enterprise version. Right. And what is, what is cool about that? Like, we currently um, have a, a timesheeting application. We uh, is, it's a service called TimePro, and uh, that we have an API that we expose with that. And there's also some CRM stuff. And now our CRM is currently CRM um, on premise. Mm -hmm. We have okay. a plan later on to to move that to dynamics to the cloud now if we were to advertise at the moment we'd have to advertise the two different apis or how they are and later on when when they change we will then need to inform everyone using that api oh, i'm really sorry the api has changed right. you, know, you have to you know but if you're using this uh, api management and going for the enterprise features you put a layer on top of that and and then you have these transforms and nobody needs to be informed of the under the, the plumbing going on and the changes going on in your organization because you're just showing off that one sexy REST API. Yeah. Nice. Hmm. And, that, and, that, and that's all part of it is, right? It's just you're providing that capability and, and you're easily expanding across the, across the planet if you need to. Yep. That's right. It's, the, it's like the email address that never changes. Uh, that enterprise feature, I... I I think that uh, it seems to be about fifteen hundred dollars a month. Yeah, depending on location and currency and so forth. I'm looking at the U.S. region, and it can be twenty eight hundred a month. But but if you think about how much time you could save and oh, sure. dollars that you could save if you had to refactor an API, yeah, it's that's compelling. the problem. Yeah. yeah. Well, and four thousand requests a second, like you're getting a yeah. lot of performance out of this too. Mm. But but companies much prefer to pay devs to do this stuff than um than yeah. just uh, 
on beaches like that for some reason. Well, it's hid- it's hidden costs versus visible costs, right? Not only the development time and the debugging time, you still have to run the infrastructure. There's all that IT time. There's all of those different pieces. Like they, I, f- I find it crazy that, you know, they say, well, the cloud's so expensive. Then you actually sit down and do the math of what right. they're paying for themselves and go, are you sure it's expensive? It's almost like an insurance policy. You know, you're paying up front for, and that, that's all you're going to pay when it comes to that those particular APIs. So what, uh, are we actually going to get to nine? Well, we're at six now. Let's at least get six. <laughs> like a software project. You never actually get there. <laughs> no, no show is ever done. Only abandoned. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I think the, um, the next thing that I tell them that they should learn is uh, logic apps. Yeah. I think logic apps are really important for the guys to, to learn. Um, uh, many of them probably would have already played with Microsoft Flow, um, and it is similar. Uh, Microsoft Flow comes from Office 365 team and Logic Apps from the Azure team. Yeah, right. Um, and they probably have come across If This Then That, uh, although I never really saw that in enterprises. It, it, it was a thing that people played with, but I didn't see it um, become part of Never got deployed. Mm. Yes, it never it never got there. Now, uh, what's important to understand, at least is, um, in the beginning, is what's the differences between Microsoft Flow and Logic Apps. Mm-hmm. Um, Flow is cheaper. It's in a shared environment. Um, Logic Apps, they charge step. Uh, the UI is the same, although in Logic Apps, there's just more advanced stuff in there. You can split and merge steps. You, you know, look at the JSON and see what's going on. Yeah. Um, but the most important thing is who is the owner? And with Logic Apps, the, it's in your resource group. You can deploy it with ARM templates. You can parameterize it. You can monitor it with App Insights. You're, it's part of your infrastructure. Right. You're in control of it. Yeah, and so once you've you worked out what which way you're going to go, and you know you should look at both of those things. You you just then start automating things. You connect your apps and your services. Uh, I'm not kidding. This is so simple. My mum, Donald Trump, could do this. This is easy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> there is no lines of code to write at all. Um, your creating tickets, um, anything that's repetitive, you should be looking at this stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And and plus, they'll let integration abilities to other SaaS products, things like that, just bringing Salesforce as part of the equation. Like, they're, they're really, Logic App is really powerful. That's a, a good point, Richard. Um, one of the other things to consider between Flow and Logic Apps is Logic Apps have, has a lot more of those enterprise ones. Mm-hmm. So, you won't you'll see Salesforce and um, a lot of uh, SAP and all that stuff in those logic apps. Mm. And then, like, if you've never done a logic app, you just go into the portal, you click create a resource, choose logic apps, and you connect up a couple of things. Like, there's just no code to write at all. It mm. is so, like, you could make it so that we want to watch all the tweets, okay? So we'll just set up a, a Twitter connector and have them all go into our ticketing system. Right. Uh, you could, you, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, criteria you can put there. You could actually say if the search term has a certain hashtag mm. or it 
uh, connect, you could say if the message is negative, like I only want the negative ones where people are saying, uh, mm. I'm not happy. And yeah, doing a little will, sentiment analysis. Yes. So that that is obviously using cognitive services under the covers. Yeah. And, you know, um, but we're, we're talking crazy simple and you can automate. Now, in the beginning, when you set this stuff up, it's real cheap. But when you have a lot of these going and you get into the, the swing of things, you know, I see companies paying quite a bit of, uh, quite a few dollars for all the logic apps. And, and then that's kind of a good thing. They come to you and complain, I'm paying quite a bit for logic apps. And you have a look and go, wow, they're using it for a lot of stuff. You wouldn't give it up, would you? Hmm. Right. So yeah. it, presumably it's providing value. That's right. Yeah. They're, 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 they don't want to do all these uh, tasks manually after they've started using it. Right. I, I just want to mention just one thing on that logic apps. Those logic apps don't, you don't really have a dev test production system. And they're right. like one of those mm, things that just happen. Um, I do want to mention that there is a logic apps for Visual Studio. So if you're a developer, you um, you can have a look at the logic apps for Visual Studio, and then you can put it under a proper dev test production. It takes away the beauty of the, you know, how simple it is to use because now you've got some steps involved. But I think it's hmm. um, really important. Very cool. Cognitive services. Cognitive services. Well, we've moved and uh, we've come a long way since Tay, Tay tweeting and uh, saying uh, racist things. Uh -huh. And I think that one of the things I really care about now with, uh, with the apps that we're building for all our customers is I want the guys to always be trying to think of smarter ways of doing things. And... Obviously, if they spend some time using cognitive services, they'll do a they'll do a pretty good job of um, things that you know our competitors don't particularly do. Um, we, we built this um, we built this uh, screen. We call her Sophie. As you walk into our office, um, Sophie uh, recognizes you, shows you what you're what you're working on today, shows your appointments um shows shows when it's next raining um and tells you when your next holiday is and also <laughs> you look happy and also sophie is kind of a a little bit of a an assistant and you know she's just using some i think the guys wrote it just because they wanted to play with cognitive services right so you know and uh when a client comes in they can say hey I uh, can say, hello, Richard, uh, you've got a meeting with Yuli in seven minutes. Take a seat to the left. And um, it can also send a, it sends an email to um, Penny, the receptionist, and says, hey, Penny, uh, Richard doesn't, um, doesn't drink coffee. Uh, don't offer him coffee. Offer him an orange juice, that type of thing. And then Definitely you don't drink orange juice either. Cup of tea. Yeah. Or a scotch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I'd say the number eight thing I want them to learn is bots. I think bots are, are really are really important. Um, I think uh, I believe that I read something about the Gardner Group that says in was it 2019 or 2020 we will be speaking more to a bot than we will be to our partner. Oh, that's so sad. 
That's a good thing. <laughs> I'm gonna. That's as I'm a driving good home, thing. <laughs> as I'm driving home, I could have a bot. Um, when my wife is asking, "How was your day?" I can have the bot answer it, and then I could be listening to .NET Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that wouldn't fly in my house. <laughs> Only if she knew. Only if she knew. <laughs> yeah. So um, the bots uh, will make you an absolute rock star by learning that. And I think that customers are going to expect it. Uh, we're doing a bot right now. Is uh, We're adding it to Sophie. So, you know, you mentioned before about... Um, how Cortana and Alexa can talk to each other. Right. We are trying to make a decision whether our Sophie uh, will be able to speak and and listen, whether we attach a Google Home or Alexa or a Harman or just, you know, use all the or do it ourselves with Azure and um, put a speaker and a mic on it. So why why not Cortana? Or are you using the Cortana engine? We can, we can do it that way. So we uh, it, it will depend on whether people expect when they want to speak to something, whether they expect to, whether they're used to speaking to Alexa or yeah. Google Home. Like right. what is going to be the, the expectation when you walk up to something? There's going to have to be uh, an, an expectation how you talk to this thing, you know, um, and I don't think that's been solidified and also we don't want to um build something if you can just buy something and it works just as well and connected in. maybe you, you could offer the user a choice you know of which uh, uh, assistant front end they would like to use yeah you could that's that's a, i hadn't even thought of that one that's a good one and then i'd have to put a google home on one side and an amazon alexa on the other side of it right <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of possibilities with bots and they are getting better and the tooling seems to help a lot just to sort of get people down the right path. It's not that simple though. It's a lot of work to do a good job. Yeah. Okay, now I think we're at number nine, right? Number nine. Okay. I just want to mention that cognitive services can make your apps crazy smart, but just like what happened with um, Tay, Tay was crazy clever, but you could say, you know, you can say crazy swear words to Tay and she'd just retweet you. So sure. just the fact that she was smart, that um, the people that implemented it, the developers that implemented Tay, uh, they weren't the guys that, that built the machine learning. They had a responsibility to, um, you know, to do robust testing of it. And yeah, right. it's, it's the same thing for developers doing cognitive services. Cognitive services are smart, but if you're not going to be doing some basic checks for sarcasm and swear words and all the other stuff, um, you're going to get yourself in the same pickle that yeah. you know, the people that did Tay. So, uh, yes, you you can use cognitive services and then you can say, look, I'm an, I'm an AI developer. I use AI. You know, it's certainly going to make yourself seem smart. Um, well, there are cognitive services that will filter out and detect things like that already. Yeah. You just have to That's plug true. into them. You just got to do the work. Yes. It's possible. Yeah. All right. Number nine, friend. Number nine. The most, the last one, and I'll leave this to last, it's containers. Ah, now, interesting. I think 
Yeah, so you'll notice that I that I swayed away from serverless and things like that um, as priorities, and maybe that's for me because uh, I don't want to tie myself particularly um, to something that won't work in China. And, Interesting. You know, now I know some companies care about multi-cloud and they want things to work in Azure and Amazon, and in this case, they probably wouldn't would want to be careful with uh, serverless, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I think that the way to go is containers. And I tell the guys, you know, Docker is easy. Um, all the orchestration is hard. Um, there's a lot to learn. But, you know, Kubernetes will will be really, will re- really be hard for you. But Azure makes it really easy with um, AKS, and that's what I want them to learn. And... Um, and what we can do is we can deploy that to Azure and we can deploy it to, say, Alley Cloud. Yep. And you know, that is, you know, that's where I want all solutions to be at, where we're, we're supporting the Western market and the Chinese market and we're deploying to both. And, uh, you know, there, there's, I think that's just the way of the future. And I'm very, very grateful that Microsoft have... Um, made Kubernetes user-friendly with their Azure Kubernetes services. Yes. I think we're still wrestling to get Windows containers working as well as they should. But uh, certainly the Linux containers work like a really well. Yeah, so we we support, um, we go deploying to Linux as well. Right. And we're not in service fabric. Yeah, we're not worried about that. You just have to deal with it. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, and you said, I, I appreciate the containers come last because it's very much a change in architectural thinking and different way to build software for a different reason. Yeah, that's right. But I, 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 many developers will go straight for, you know, they want to try the containers and those others. But that's kind of the order that I pitch that I like them to to get going in. I appreciate this order, Adam. It makes a lot of yeah. sense from a dev perspective. Like I said, the IT guy in me grabbed identity earlier, but now I could totally appreciate web, DevOps, data, identity. You know, totally makes huge sense to me. That's very logical. Nice one. Adam, thanks very much for uh, talking to us. It's always a pleasure when we talk in person and even better when the rest of the, the world gets to hear our conversation. So thank you. I'll see you in 12 years, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll see man. in a couple of weeks, actually. Yeah, we're coming That's down right. to Sydney. Oh, yeah. NDC is going to be awesome. Yeah. Yes, it is. We're going to yeah. we're sharing a stage with you, and it'll be an SSW show, and then a .NET Rock show, and then and the audience can see us make shows. Yeah, and we're going to live stream it as well. So even if you can't make it to Australia, which you should, then you can see what's going on in uh, in the best conference in the country for, for .NET developers. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, Adam. We'll see you in a couple weeks, and we'll see you, dear listeners, next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. 
visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes,